last week or whatever, just kind of a reminder of where we're at. Uh, we had been teaching out of Luke for a long time, uh, and we weren't really calling it a series as much. If we were, we were just calling it Jesus, and, uh, and it was just us getting to know Jesus, uh, and we're still not done with that. Uh, we'll be done with that probably in a couple of years, I think, but it's, it took us like uh, four weeks or five weeks to get through chapter five. I mean, I kind of think that we did pretty good. Um, so it might take us a couple of years to really dive into the Gospels and just get to know the Gospel part, but I don't want to leave that. But on the flip side is I had some things that were very uh, pressing upon my heart. And uh, the problem what happens is if I don't ever get that out, it just seeps into everything. Like I can't give an honest attention to something because it's constantly seeping into it. And so uh, you might have to give me a little volume a little bit. I don't think I'm going to be too loud today. Um, so so when, I, when I started writing, jotting down these ideas and these things that God was beginning to weigh my heart on, and, and when God was beginning to do some things uh, uh, internally in me and questioning some things, definitely one of the things that has been new for me is I have, um, you know, when, when we jumped into this idea of, of a church and, and uh, what were we going to do, and, and uh, I tell you, God began to do some work on me about challenging some of the ways that I thought, because I, I'm going to tell you what I want more than anything else. I, I just want to be right with God. That's all I really want. Now, I know that I am in Christ, but I, I want the things that I see. Like when I read the Bible, I really want what I see in the Bible. And it's caused me to like go on this kind of journey with the Bible and really look at where things are lacking in my life. And uh, if any of you know me, you know me well enough to know that I ask questions. Now, for good or bad questions... Uh, that, you know, that it's very challenging. Some people don't like questions because they don't want to be really challenged. Well, I'm one of those kind that when it comes to theology, when it comes to Bible stuff, I want to challenge. And it's not just for the sake of challenging. It's that I have questions. I have questions. And if, if I can't ask people who I think might be smarter, what can I do? Uh, so so that really, <clears throat> over the next 12, 13 weeks, is going to be like this series of <clears throat> thoughts and questions and challenges that I've experienced and things that, that have, I've encountered over the last, say, 15 years or so in ministry. Uh, <clears throat> uh, if I was going to call it something, I talked about this a little bit last week, I would call it the cookbook. And the, cook, the reason why, uh, it, 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 it is from a movie that I've grown fond of because uh, I have kids. It is called Lady in the Water by M. Night Shyamalan. He wrote this fairy tale of a story to really inspire his children. And there are a sequence of events that are taking place. It tackles... Um, the power of words to influence generations, even manages to convey how like everyone's connected, everyone has purpose. And the reference to the cookbook or this concept called the cookbook comes about midway in the movie where we discover this fairy type person uh, is, is uh, there to basically uh, uh, in, be an inspiration. Basically the things that are holding this man back from writing these certain things that are going to have power or have effect in the future. This person is there to help free those things, to inspire. And uh, she begins to tell him about this book that he is writing in the middle of writing, and it's called The Cookbook. And uh, she begins by saying, a boy in the Midwest of this land will grow up in a home where your book will be on the shelf and spoken of often. He will grow up with these ideas in his head. He will grow into a great orator. 
He will speak and his words will be heard throughout the land and throughout the world. This boy will become leader of this country and begin a movement of great change. He will speak of you in your words. Your book will be the seeds of many of his great thoughts. It will be the seeds of change to which the guy's sister replies, the cookbook? <laughs> and <clears throat> it's kind of not really taken serious. Like, well, it's just his thoughts, right? Uh, later on, the writer who writes the cookbook, he kind of honestly admits, there's a lot of things in the cookbook you're not going to like to hear. He says, I'm not anything, you know. I, I don't think I'm anything special. And maybe that's where I find myself using this title. Uh, because um, these are the thoughts that basically no one's going to want to hear. <laughs> uh, and definitely no one wants to preach or teach. Because they're going to bring questions to you. And uh, why do I struggle with these things? Because I know they're poison for me. I know to ask these things means I'm not going to be liked. I know to ask these things means I might challenge the status quo of the church today. It means I might be the enemy of the church. Because I'm going to challenge the way you think and look at things. Now, I'm going to do it with the gospel. I'm not going to teach you anything new. I'm not going to teach you something that's not in the Bible. I'm going to teach you something that's very biblical. But it's going to fly in the face of everything we come to know. And again, it poses the question... Um, well, let me just get into it. I don't, I don't want to go too far in. Uh, it's hurtful. Truthfully, I think about what it was like not to see these things um, or not to be convicted of these things. Uh, in other words, like, uh, and I've said this a lot, I think. I think people have heard me say, listen, ignorance is bliss, and I have to be, there's moments in my life where I wish I was completely ignorant of things again. I wish I didn't know some things because you can't unlearn stuff sometimes. It all hurts, right? I see all of it. There are things that have bothered me when it comes to the church. I, uh, I, 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 it hurts me too much to see our contentment with the status quo, to watch our pastors struggle with spiritual Alzheimer's, <laughs> to see our church in spiritual malnutrition. If you don't know, mal malnutrition is where the church looks full, but it's really starving and dying. It's got a big belly like everything's okay. You look at it like, oh, it's fine. Uh, it's not fine. It's dying. It's just a matter of time. Um, I see our world lost in division. I know you see it, right? Racism. People doing stupid stuff, right? Poverty, war, all this other stuff. What's the solution? I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I do know that I can't, or I can't, and I don't think we can keep doing the same thing, expecting some kind of different result. So what am I going to do? That becomes the question because I can't criticize you. I can't say, what are you doing and never do anything? Like, that's my job just to sit here and be the criticism on your shoulder as to say, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? No, for me, it's simple. I'm starting in 2 Chronicles 7.14. Most of you know this. This is kind of a, an easy passage. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. I hear that all the time. Very rarely see it practiced. Because how? How do you turn? How do you humble yourself and pray? What does that look like? And I think that begins to be a discovery. As I begin to like tear into this, what does this look like? This is my prayer. This is what I pray all the time. Lord, what does this look like? That's my prayer. Not my, my prayer is I get what the scripture says. If I do, this will happen. All right? I get that. How? What does it look like, God? Be specific, Lord, to help me figure this out, right? How can we return to God if we won't pray? How can we possess humility if we don't pray? I mean, there's a lot of things that lie in prayer. 
Now listen, it all kind of started here for this, at least if there was going to be a, a title to this message, as far as the first part of the cookbook, it would be this, that it, I would call it this, tell no one, tell no one. <clears throat> and it started with a few months ago, I began to read something that showed up on my Facebook feed. It read, church is a family, not a business. It's a house, not a restaurant. Now, I clicked on it because <laughs> it looks good. That looks right. I mean, I think it is. Um, it led me to an article that had a lot of good things to say, but I couldn't get past this quote. Now, what was wrong with it? Nothing. There's nothing wrong with that quote, okay? That's a good quote. I would say, like, if you wanted to repeat that, like, that's pretty good. What stung a bit was that this was a person that had founded a large worship team that charges everyone for their music. Never mind that their worship team or worship leaders, mind you, are being paid already by their local church and local congregation to do so. They also charge admission for their concerts as well. Now, that wouldn't be a big deal if I wanted to go see them and I paid admission, right? Except for the fact that they also take up offerings at their concerts. Been there, guys. I already know who this guy is. I don't want to say his name out loud. That's for you to dig. But for me... Uh, I already, I've, I've been to these kind of concerts, I'm telling you from, from experience. And so you don't confuse a night of worship with a concert, because I know the difference. Let me just say, this is true story, guys. If you can buy nachos, popcorn, cotton candy, and drinks, it's not worship. I'm just saying. I'm about to get my worship on with my nachos. Come on, man. That's a concert. Big difference. Big difference. They also charge for chord charts, and they copyright their work so that other businesses have to pay to use their songs. And the wheels of business turn in the church. Now, I don't think that this person isn't a Christian, but it's hard not to see this statement as hypocritical. However, is it any wonder the world looks at us with such contempt? Come on, man. What's worse is that this reveals a system to an even greater disease, or a symptom to an even greater disease, which is pride. Pride. It's pride that draws us in, into being captivated by success. Right? This guy couldn't sell tickets, man, if nobody thought they were awesome. And nobody can think they're awesome unless I want to put something out so that you can see how awesome I am. And I'm going to make sure that I fill the house up that night to take my video, because that way you can look how awesome I am based off the numbers that I have. Dude, don't think they don't do that. Would you, want to, if, would you want to show the whole world how great you are with only like seven people in the audience? It's pride that draws us into being captivated by success. Success, for good or bad, for good or bad it affirms us. We justify our actions because we struggle to believe that obedience to the Lord is enough. We want to feel good. Sometimes being obedient to God doesn't come with the affirmation from men. That's, that's where we struggle. We want more. Secretly, we all desire the affirmation of our parents. Come on. Everybody wants their mom to say good job. Our friends, we want our friends to be good. We want our spouses to help us there. We want the, you know, there's nothing like it. When my wife says, man, you're doing good, you need to stay on track. There's nothing like it. It's inspiring. We want our coworkers and even our children to affirm us. It, tolls, it tugs and pulls at our heart. We sink into depression if we're not seen or known. 
truthfully. We want to be seen. We want to be known. Look at me. Look at me. We all desire the affirmation of all these people. The evidence of our pride in our culture is found in the popularity of reality programming on TV, cable networks. You can find it on social media where there seems to be a constant obsession with posting video of ourselves, blogging our ideas, opinions, utilizing Facebook as a megaphone for our soapbox issues. And everyone says amen. The proof of pride in the church is found in our indesirable, insatiable desire for growth. A prominent pastor whose literature is treasured amongst church leaders confessed his disdain for small churches. During a service, his tongue lit a fire to the church world when his thoughts for small churches went public. What did he say? Let me share it with you. This is what he said. When I hear adults say, well, I don't like big church. I like about 200. I want to be able to know everybody. I say, you are stinking selfish. You care nothing about the next generation. All you care about is you and your five friends. You don't care about your kids, anyone, anybody else's kids. And you're like, what's up? I'm saying if you don't go to a big church or a large church where you can have enough middle schoolers and high schoolers to separate them so they can have small groups and grow up in the local church, you are a selfish adult. Get over it. Find yourself a big old church where your kids can connect with a bunch of people, grow up, and love the local church. Now, this man has a sense had to apologize for this statement. I'm sure his book sales took a dive. And he has, I don't know, probably about 50 books out there and a ton of other stuff. Unbelievable. But the proverbial cat is out of the bag. The present church culture rewards the large church and pities the small one. We platform the megachurch pastor with conferences, with books, and other speaking engagements that we sell to the small church pastor, inadvertently telling them, this is what you should aspire to be. Maybe one day you'll get there. Truthfully, if we pursued God half as much as we pursue church growth, we'd have revival tomorrow. It's true. How come the ministry of Jesus is so contrary to our ministries today? Anybody ask that question? There is no question that Jesus wanted to reach the world with his message of grace and salvation. But how come anytime he performed a miracle or he told those or whom he'd help, he'd always tell them, don't tell anyone. Tell no one. Matthew 8 tells the story of a man with leprosy. It says, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed, and instantly the leprosy disappeared. Then Jesus said to him, listen, don't tell anyone about this. Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. Now, Jesus knew the nature of men more than anyone. He knew that the more he said to not do something, that they were going to do it. Come on, haven't you read the Old Testament? It's uh, full of God telling people what not to do and then watching them do what he told them not to do. That's the whole Old Testament summed up right there. Is anything different today? Has the nature of men and women changed? Still, Jesus beckons that we not tell anyone. That we trust him in the process of spreading the gospel. It's not just about evangelism either. This idea shows up dramatically in chapter 6 of Matthew when talking about how we should live. By the way, Jesus spends the majority of his life teaching us how to live before he teaches us how to go. 
Let me say that again. Jesus spends the majority of his life teaching us how to live before he teaches us how to evangelize. So when it comes to outreaches, when it comes to giving or service events or service-related projects and gifts, listen in Matthew chapter 6, the first four verses, he says, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds in public or publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the, syn- <clears throat> in the streets or in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of, of charity. I tell you the truth, they've received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. <clears throat> when was the last time have you heard of a church doing outreaches or any other types of giving in secret? not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it doesn't happen a lot. Today, it's just a matter of grabbing your phone, and you can easily pick, you can easily look uh, uh, up on Facebook or anything else, and you can see what the church is doing. This way, you can pick and choose to see which one is more like Christ. In the days of Christ, this would have been the Pharisees because they made sure everyone saw their ministries. Thus, the reason for Jesus to approach this subject This wasn't new then, it's not new now, guys. Recently, I was approached by another church to be a part of a community service outreach. Not going to get into what or who or all these things. For $2,500, we could make sure that our church name and our church logo could be on all sorts of items that were handed. Or that would be handed out. And listen, this would be extremely enticing if what I wanted to is to be known. (laughs) Or be seen by the community as doing the works of Christ. Listen, our community might not have gotten to, might not get to see our, our church name and sometimes know who we are, but they will experience the compassion of Jesus Christ. Guys, it's not about us being known, it's about Christ being known. A few more scriptures in, and Jesus addresses praying. He says, When you pray, Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, this is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you. Pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Again, that's just verses 5 and 6, same chapter of Matthew. Listen, one time I witnessed a church set up a public prayer meeting and they, they, they promoted it heavily on social media. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying in public. Jesus did it many times when it came to healing someone. However, this promotion of it, it was kind of hyped up, right? And after the event took place, uh, the number in attendance was greatly over-exaggerated on Facebook. Come on. If growth isn't the object of our affection, then why do we need to falsely present the size of our prayer meeting? Because we sure don't want to be a part of something that's very small and it doesn't look like it's growing. Because if it ain't growing, it must be bad. Guys, cemeteries grow every year. There's a lot of people getting chemo trying to kill growth. (laughs) Not all growth is good growth, guys. Lastly, when it comes to fasting, you see Jesus is trying to keep you on track, right? 
Matthew, same chapter 6, 16 through 18. And when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, this is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. So shall we go through social media and glance at all the churches and so we can find out which fast they're on? Come on. Maybe it's a 21-day fast. Maybe it's a 40-day fast. Either way, it makes no different. You starting to get the picture? We want people to see our holiness. We want them to see our righteousness and the beauty of what we've become. We feel that if we don't tell them, they won't see us. Isn't this the church you see before you today? I mean, have I got it wrong? This generation faces an unbelievable amount of pressure to concede to the culture. The culture of self filled with cell phones, tablets, and portable computers have us captivated and entertained. In other words, they've got us paralyzed. There is literally just about nowhere we can go where we can't get a cell signal or a Wi-Fi connection. And most of the time we ask. Since the creation of social media, a vast number of men and women who desire a voice to speak and an audience to influence have given in to the impulse of being known. Their excuse, they believe with all their heart, they are fulfilling the Great Commission. In other words, the value they place on one command from God is greater than another. You see, if we don't tell them, they won't know. So we have to show them us, right? Because they won't know. Well, God said, wait a minute, everything we do in the private, he will make known. You don't have to worry about that. I got time. Listen, I'll worry about God when I got to worry about God. God said to go. Yeah, I know. But he also said to live like this too, guys. Can't imagine why we struggle as church. Why nobody? Because we always look like hypocrites this way, right? We're so big and bold about everything we do. We want to, it makes us look like hypocrites. Jesus through all of chapter 6. Somebody, if somebody read chapter 6 and looked at the church today, they'd all call us hippies. All of you are hypocrites. Every time you brag about everything you give and have done and your 47 photos to show the event that you just got through doing and how proud you are of everybody who gave. That's like, I remember, a, uh, I think it was Chris Rock. I can't believe I'm quoting him during a sermon. He said, man, he said his brother came up to him and says, man, I've never gone to jail. You ain't supposed to. <laughs> I shouldn't pat you on the back. <laughs> you know? Hey, look, can't you see how Christ we were? That's not Christ at all. <laughs> That's not Christ at all. That's, hypo- That's a hypocrite life. So why do we see so many pastors, so many church leaders, so eager to showcase themselves and their works before their communities or the nation or even the world? Can I throw this out there that maybe it's a lack of faith? Maybe we struggle to trust Jesus in the spreading of the gospel. So we help him by using the advertising and marketing the world provides. The world calls them tools for business. And let me tell you what the church, we supplant the word ministry before the word tools. And just like that, we've redeemed them for glory. Yeah, that's sarcasm. I mean, it's, it's not that simple, I know, but, but it's what we do. Jesus practiced this strict tell-no-one policy. Why doesn't the church, and how come we're not asking that question? 
How come nobody realizes the difference? Is it because we truly believe that what we're doing is just trying to make Jesus known? It's really innocently done? Do we really think that Jesus needs our help to save the world? Arrogance. I thought he made it clear, Luke 19, 40. He replied, if, if, if they kept quiet, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. Keep your mouth shut and watch God do it through the stones and the trees and the, everything else. Seriously, the stones are going to cry out. There's nothing that's going to stop the message, praise, and worship of Jesus Christ. And this presents us with an ugly, veiled truth. We must not believe it. It's just the truth. Your lack of faith or belief doesn't discount Jesus clearly pointing out that we are to do good deeds in private. When you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do. Blowing trumpets in the synagogue, the church, and the streets to the community to call attentions to their acts of charity. But we do blow trumpets and call attention to our acts of charity. They appear in the form of videos, concerts, social media posts, purchased advertising and marketing. Listen, this goes for everyone, even me. Because I've done it too. I told you painful for me. I knew it'd be painful for you. As I reflect back upon the ministry of my life, I cannot deny that I have longed for the affirmation of my family and my peers. I cannot deny that I've been made a, I, I, I've made a spectacle out of just about everything I've done and under the banner of, can't you see what Jesus is doing? Or maybe worse, can't you see what he's doing in me? Why? Because I'm just like you. I feed off the oh, pastor. Every time I hear the word pastor, which I'm going to get into that one too. We're about to stomp a mud hole into that one. How's that for truth? Not only do we genuinely want to see, want people to see what Jesus is doing, we also want to be the known as the people he is working through. And listen, one is obviously more important than the other. Have you ever thought to ask why the church struggles with a competitive nature? Seriously, why do so many people, listen, even church people believe that local churches are competitive? Listen, we market, advertise, and use every ounce of technology we can to bullhorn our clever church name, purpose-filled vision, and extremely joyful congregations. We want people to know what we have, what, that we have what they need, maybe even more than the next church, though we would never say that out loud. The solution to this competition problem is pretty easy. Practice what Jesus teaches. There can be no competition if nobody knows what you're doing. <laughs> that's, so, that's so easy, right? I mean, like when you think about it. Why does it seem like a competition? Because we're, comp we're always we're bombarded by advertising. Which one's better than the other? Hmm, let me get on their Facebook or, or whatever social media site. Let's see how happy everyone looks. We'll pick the happiest one and see if that's the one. Oh, they're doing stuff like every week. Like, you need more stuff to do, really? <laughs> it all goes back to Ezekiel's story of the bride, doesn't it? Found in chapter 16. It's the story of how God came to find us, to love us, to beautify, to beautify us. If you don't know the story, you should like highlight the whole chapter. Ezekiel 16, 14 through 15 says this, Your fame soon spread throughout the world because of your beauty. He's talking about the church. This is what God says, I dressed you in my splendor. And perfected your beauty. 
says the sovereign Lord. Then he says this, but you thought your fame and your beauty were your own. We always think our fame and beauty is up to us rather than imputed into us through Christ. We struggle to believe that we're beautiful in Christ, so we try to make ourselves look beautiful to everyone else. Because we feel like, God, we're not pretty enough. Because the truth of the matter is, we know that the only thing that beautifies us is Christ, that we're not beautiful without Him. But we know how the world thinks. We know that if we put on a good front, if we take good photos, if we had good design, good marketing, good advertising, we have figured that part out. So we know how to beautify ourselves. Come on, ask the makeup companies. Ask the plastic surgery companies. The world loves a beautiful piece of architecture, so we give them glorious buildings. The world loves lights and smoke and wonderful music, and so we give it to them. People want a better version of themselves, so we write books and we cherry-pick scriptures for preaching and we hold conferences and seminars on how to do it. The world says you need more money and popularity, and so we plug in the latest business model. We tickle a few ears and we advertise like crazy. The world says bigger is better, and we kindly oblige. We are stuck in a cycle, and we don't know how to get out. So what do we do? I mean, that's really the question, right, isn't it? How does the gospel go out and Jesus be made known if we keep everything quiet? But I thought Jesus kind of explained it rather easy. Again, listen, he says, give your gifts Pray and fast in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Isn't it enough that God sees you? I mean, it doesn't matter if no one else sees what you do. God sees your heart. He sees your intentions. He knows if you're really trying to bring Him glory versus uh, trying to grow your church and just be successful. The, the irony of some of that stuff is that... Uh, just because you grow doesn't mean you've done something right. It just means God's grace is great. Jesus trusted in the Father for everything. He kept things simple. John chapter 5, 19 through 20 reads like this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you will truly be astonished. We make things harder than we need to. Jesus knew what the Father said because he spent countless hours in prayer to find out. The more he connected with the Father, the more he trusted the Father. Can I tell you, the more we connect with the Father, the more we will trust the Father. The more we trust the Father, the more we will let go of our concerns and more importantly, our doubts. Our confidence can never be in our methods. It must be in the Father. It can never be in our methods. It must be in the Father. The gospel will be spread by the grace of God, not by our ability to speak, whether through technology or by human voice. In the end, God will get the glory alone for every soul that hears and hopes in Christ. I'm going to tell you, you know how you're going to feel really silly for all the things we advertised and all the things that we thought we were doing to help God out. We're like, man, I didn't even do anything. I should have just, and you know what you're going to wish? You're going to wish you just spent more time loving on God. Man, it was in his hands the whole time. He had control of this whole thing. I should have just enjoyed my life a little more. 
Paul's exposition to the church was adamant about this. He says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it, for we're God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. It's all God's work. It's all God's glory. There is no one church that's better than another because there is only one church. I don't care what the pastors out there tell you. I don't care what denominational doctrine you believe in. There's only one kingdom that's ruled and reigned by one God. That are none. There are none that are drawn to the gospel of human intellect. They're drawn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're not drawn by how great you can speak. They're not drawn by your service outreach or by any other internet-related means by which you feel the need to market and advertise. We are drawn to God through the grace of Jesus Christ. And by faith, we do it. And even the Bible says that's a gift. So you can't even boast. When it's all said and done, it was all his work. Jesus never said to not do service outreaches. So nobody's against that here. You're not hearing me preach against doing something for the poor. You're not hearing me uh, preach against us doing something as a corporate body. He said to do it in private, though. Not worrying whether anyone can see it or not. Why? Because the Father sees us. Every time, that's not enough. That's an issue with our Christianity. There can be no competitive nature if this part disappeared. If we actually practice Matthew 6, you realize it would kill a lot of that whole competition stuff. We never know what anybody's doing. You know the only way we would know what church is by the people? There's a concept. The whole first 12, 13 chapters of the book of Acts, we were called the way because we were known for who we were. The people the whole movement was known for the people. We're not known for the people anymore. We're known for the, the conglomerate, the organization, the administration, the amount of money we can put up and build something up. Amen. Our friends, families, neighbors, community, nation, all the world will be changed when we completely trust in the Lord. Like Christ, we aim at being obedient to the things he tells us and reveals to us. Don't know what he's telling you? Have you asked him? The prayer life of our Savior was so powerful that the disciples sought to learn more about it than his ability to heal. What does that tell you about the power of prayer? Let me encourage you with these final words. God's grace functions so proficiently and so quietly that we rarely realize it. It's subtle. We foolishly think because of what we're doing uh, uh, we ignorantly attribute it to our works, that one video where we invited our entire community, the mass mailer we sent out to 10,000 homes, the advertisements we've taken out in the local newspapers. We told ourselves, how would they know that we're here? But this, all of this is a lesson in the grace of God. How? Because God, despite our pride, still chooses to move through our pretentious bragging, our overzealous spectacle, and our self-righteous competitive nature. So God still shows up in the church, and we go, look at us. See God with us. God's like, you're an idiot, and I love you, my lovable idiot. <laughs> you know, oh, don't act like your kid. Don't act like an idiot, and you still love him. That's the dumbest thing I've ever seen a kid do, and that's my kid. God owns us. Don't, don't, God owns us. His love is all-conquering. It's patient, forgiving. Allow us... 
Listen, it allows us to see some fruit while still struggling with our faith to believe that he is the I am. The reason that, that I'm saying all this is not to beat up the churches who have done this. Guys, I've been the pastor that has done all this. I'm trying to tell you this is where God's taken me. Uh, I had somebody say when I went up to Terrell, I said, man, we, when you were at First Assembly, we saw everything you did, da da da, da and then you started Mosaic, and I don't see you anymore. I'm like, I also don't preach like I did then either. Those of you who have known me for a little while, who saw me preach back at First Assembly, you know I'm not preaching like I used to preach. It's a totally different fire. God set upon me something different, something in a place where I've never been before. Why? Because for the... For the first thought, I feel free in the Lord to be able to do so, maybe. I don't know what that is, but I can tell you this, that God has challenged me. I started asking these questions to God because I can't go to pastors. They don't want to hear that. Do you think a pastor want to hear about Matthew 6, especially if he's about to have his great big service outreach that 100,000 pictures are going to be taking of, and they've created video after video after video to promote. They've paid for all this advertising. They have $30,000 in advertising and everything. You think they want to be asked that question? No. They're so bought in that they have to literally like blank out like it's a classified document in chapter 6. We never got to read that one. That was classified. It's beyond my pay grade. I just ran straight to Matthew 28, 29 where I just learned about the evangelism of go. And I just want to skip over that. Because if I have to read that, then I have to be, um, I have to deal with it. The irony to me is this, and I'm guilty here too because I'm Pentecostal. Because I'm Pentecostal means I really, when I believe in the Holy Spirit, I believe the Holy Spirit was given for us for the sake of evangelism. And if we don't function in the care of evangelism, then we don't get the Holy Spirit. That's kind of how that works. But on the flip side is this, God spent most of his life teaching us how to live before he was going to hand off something as precious as the Holy Spirit. You want the Holy Spirit to work for you. You want the Holy Spirit to live and reside. Well, then start living like Christ. You can't like discount what you don't want to see because you're so eager. Why are we so eager to evangelize? Is it because we really want to see souls or we really want to grow? I mean, I, because I'm telling you, if you really want to grow, it's super easy. So super easy. I can preach you on how to be a better you. We can not care where people come from, which means that we can do like most church plants. Statistically, not picking on anyone in here, uh, any church plant in this town, but I'm just telling you, statistically, it means that we're just going to get... Uh, a little bit of everybody else's church will come here and we'll just start this church from everybody else's church. Well, that sounds weird. That sounds like competitive. It wouldn't be competitive if we're just one church, now would it? But we don't look at it like that, we do we? As soon as I said taking people from other people's churches, everybody's like, what? That sounds awful. Really? If it's all heaven and some people move over here to this side of heaven and other people on this side of heaven, what's the difference? If I asked you where you live, you're in heaven. Same citizen, nothing changed. But would be, would, the question really is, are we really reaching the lost? When we said we wanted to go out, start something new that would reach people who have a hard time dealing with what the church has become, right? First of all, it means we can't be like what the church has become. We have to start like dissecting that. We have to start taking the hard looks and going, okay, how, and I'm going to tell you as a pastor, here's my greatest struggle, why these things are on my brain all the time. You know how bad I just want to go do the same things everybody else is doing? You can't even fathom how much I just want to fit in and be affirmed by the other pastors. <laughs> because as God is telling me this, do you know how hard it is now to sit there? And when I think like this in Matthew 6, so that when somebody comes and talks to me, hey, if you'll just give us $2,500 and we'll put your logo and everything on everything, I want to say, have you read Matthew chapter 6? Bam, drop a hammer. <laughs> but you think that's, you think that's loving? No, 
No. So you know what I say? No. But where can we help you? You want us to wear your shirts? Well, you want us to, I mean, we'll just come. We, we, don't, we don't need anything. And I'm not trying to take the high road. I'm just trying to live like Jesus. I, I struggle all the time. I've lived a long time struggling with it. Every year it seems like God will take me through something that I've been living through. I've been living wrong for years and years and thinking I'm living right. That'll preach all by itself. And God open up a new section of the Bible and go, man, you read over that one a little fast. Well, I've heard about praying in secret. God, I knew about that. Yeah, but you didn't read the first four verses that talk about everything else. Listen, I, let, me, let me tell you how God says it to me. I already had a church that did all the things that they're doing today. I came to, to start a new one. I don't need a, a new version of the older one. Returning to God is not about returning to being like the Pharisees who were already bragging about their service outreaches, their giving and everything else. That's why they were called hypocrites back then. Why do you think the church still gets called hypocrites now? It's the same church, just in a new dress. And Jesus is still the outsider at his own place because he lives different than the whole church does. This cookbook series is, is not even, it wasn't an intentional series, and I don't even have a rhyme or reason as to why they're being like that. I can tell you that I've had this written for like a week and a half that I've already pretty much wrote next week's. That's never happened, guys. But it's all my brain can think about. And it's these things that are hurting me because now I have to go like, how do I go out there and be friends with other churches that I see struggling in these things? Right? How do I speak into them in a way that can be hearing? Because it's hard. <laughs> it makes it hard for me because now I have to answer the question, do you want to be parts? Absolutely. Is there a way we can do this where the Lord is magnified and my name's not? Then they feel guilty. They're like, whoa, well. And you, what happens when somebody makes us feel guilty a lot? We don't hang around them, do we? Don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. We're like, I don't want to hang around. Because I've seen your Facebook memes. Don't hang around anybody that just brings you down. Hello, every prophet of the Bible. That's next week, guys. Prophet and accountability. Totally next week. Yeah. Why? Because it goes right along with this. Guess, guess what my job as pastor is to like bring this before your face and let you dissect it. You should ask questions. You should be asking questions. Matter of fact, I wrote some down. These are some of the questions I wrote from my own heart. I said, do I truly believe and trust what Christ teaches in Matthew 6? Your Father who sees everything will reward you. Do I trust that God sees me? And Lord, help me, help, help me believe that it's enough. Help me know that that's enough. Help that be enough. Quit letting pride and self and this this monster machine that just eats and eats and eats that needs to be glorified in itself. Lord, kill that thing. Help me put it on the cross so that all I want is the affirmation that comes from heaven alone. Right? So another question, how can I put this into practice in my own life? Well, you don't need to know what I get. You don't need to know what, what, what like, like we might do something corporate in here as a body as, as reach out to somebody and help somebody with food or but nobody else needs to know that. We don't have to like plug that in everywhere. We don't have to brag. We don't, there's no need for it. God sees us. God sees us. That's enough. That's enough. People will know us for us then. That's what happened. Well, how will we evangelize? Guess what? It's going to have to be you. In your life, people are going to see how you live, that you help people, and you don't 
brag about it. You don't talk about it. Say, look at me. And they're going to see that side of you. And that's what's going to attract people because that is Christ. This guy who healed people did miraculous stuff and then said, hey, don't tell anybody. I don't need your praise. I don't need it because it comes from the Father. I don't need it. Next question, do I struggle with needing affirmation from people more than God? I'm going to tell you right here, yes for me. Yes. Seriously, you're the pastor. (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? I think you grow up with it a little, right? You ever had a parent when you're little say, man, good job. That's right. That's right. I had somebody tell me this last week. um, I was mentioning something, trying to be encouraging. And somebody completely who read it messaged me on Facebook. And and, uh, these were all people like I knew back in high school. So I hadn't seen these people in 20 some odd years. And and I was trying to be encouraging to one. and, And then this person from totally... Didn't, didn't post there publicly, but sent me a message like, man, you know, thank you for your words. Blah, blah, blah. And then said this, and it said like, I just want you to know that I knew you were different in high school. And I was like, yes. Yes, I was. Yeah, I was a moron. Come on. But it made me feel good. And I'm going to tell you, flattery sometimes, man. It's funny to me how the words like seduction and flattery are lovers talking, yet the devil uses them just as much as God. Flattery can be good and also be the devil, man. You better have some discernment there. This last question. If Jesus did what he saw the Father doing and said what the Father said, then what's God saying today? What is God saying today? Now, for you, it might be different for me. I think we have a concept that, like, whatever the pastor says, we're all supposed to get on board and do what this one man says. I'm not sure that's biblical. I know it says, well, my people perish for lack of vision. Who says you're not supposed to have one? If pastors are truly the servant of the people, if they truly are like the chief servants, the lowest of the low, then wouldn't my position be to, I'm just posing ideas, I'm just asking questions. Wouldn't my position be more to help you carry out the vision that God's called you to do? What if we did things backward? What if instead of you helping me accomplish some big vision, I have some grand monster organization, my whole existence lived just to accomplish your vision? I don't mean like everybody jumps on board with you. I mean like I jump on board as your personal servant to every one of your visions. And all of a sudden, the very little individual ministries you have in your life that exist around your homes, the little Bible studies you keep at your house, the friends that you make, all of a sudden those become the important work. Those become the fields and the seeds by which we plant in. Instead of some big conglomerate organization so you can feel like, hey, I'm protected. If I want to walk away from it, I can walk away from it. You never walk away from your own life. Can you imagine if we did that where your own life became the ministry and the the pastor just served you in your own little walk in life? That way the pressure's on you to evangelize. Because wake up, guys, Matthew, when he talks about go and make disciples, he wasn't talking about when we develop this organizational structure and we create this head and these staff guys... We're going to roll into it, and that's how it's going to work. No, I wouldn't like that, man. He was saying, you're going to have to do this in your own life. <laughs> you're going to have to do this in your own life. And pastors and teachers, really, they're not shepherds to lead you in. Yeah, shepherds lead you in one way, but there's only one great shepherd. And matter of fact, uh, uh, I'm not going there yet, but I'll challenge you with it, and we're, I'm going to preach on it. Jesus is pretty clear. He says, call no one rabbi. Call no one teacher. 
so you don't ever think of yourselves better than one another. You ever notice that you don't hear the apostles called pastors? You don't hear anybody else called pastors? They'll call them elder as is to signify someone older who has carried weight amongst the people, that kind of thing, you know, but they really don't call them by titles. <laughs> they have first names. And, I, and my favorite part about that when Jesus says that, so you, none of you think you're better than another, man, that means that we all get to be equal. Even though we have gifts, it doesn't mean anyone's higher than another. All right, I'm going to stomp a mud hole in that one too. That's coming. All right? I'm just going to challenge you. It's just challenge you what you're thinking. All right? Some of you have heard a lot of stuff over the years, and I'm going to challenge you. Some of you haven't, and this will be the first time you're hearing it. Great for you, because to me, you're getting a whole lot better start. You're kind of hearing through all the fiery trials, so to speak. You kind of get a better jump start on it. But if anything, what I pray that the whole cookbook does for you is make you start to begin to question certain things. When you, when you see it, begin to look for it. Don't go accusing anybody. You go look into the Bible. What, what did God do? How are these things contrary to what you might think? And you begin to search it out for yourself. See, the job to me as a teacher pastor is not to, not to make you great uh, 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 people. If anything, it's just to duplicate or replicate the same idea of what a, great, what a disciple is. I'm just hungry for God. And I just want you to be hungry for God. And let me tell you something. And, and Peter is the proof that God loves people who ask questions. Right? Jesus' right-hand man is Peter. And if anybody can annoy you and drive you crazy, it would be Peter. He's always talking. He never is quiet. He's asking tons of questions. It gives me hope. It gives me hope, guys. Stand to your feet. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I know uh, things are hard, Lord, sometimes to hear. We're challenged, God, and we might not all agree sometimes on the things that are said, Father. And, and Lord, uh, I know that you prepared hearts ahead of time, God, because that you told me you would, Father. Lord, uh, if there are any hearts here, God, that need, uh, Lord, uh, just an extra person to pray with, uh, uh, Father, uh, Lord, bring them forward. Uh, at the at the time uh, uh, of the altar, Father, so so that Lord, I want to I want to stand alongside them um, and pray with them, God, if you will grant me that opportunity, Lord. But Father, I th I thank you for challenging me, uh, Lord, and and maybe inadvertently challenging us, God. Uh, Lord, I know things aren't always easy to hear, and and uh, it makes us ask questions. It makes us wonder, Lord. Uh, but, Father, I know that you're not intimidated by our curiosity, God. You're not intimidated uh, by our questions, Father. I know that you bear the truth, Lord, that we can come to you uh, more than I can go to anything else or we can go to anything else, Lord. We can come to you and get the truth, God. Father, just help our ears to hear it, God. Not the truth we want to hear, God, but the truth our heart needs. Lord, if there's anybody um, struggling this morning, with your truth, with anything that is said today, God? Will you begin to minister to them, Lord, in whatever fashion you deem appropriate, Father? Lord, I do believe that your Holy Spirit is tangible, God. I do believe in the presence and the, and the, the thickness, the weightiness of the Holy Ghost, God. 
Lord, and I, do, I know that it does more than just evangelize and empower us for those things, God, but it also comes and, and it ministers to us, God, when we hurt or when we struggle, God. Father, will you send your spirit out now, God, in the midst of our prayer time right here, God, and begin to minister to us, God? Let's just, let's just give a moment of silence for that opportunity to happen. Lord, we surrender to your way. Above all other way, Lord, we seek out and we look for your way, the right way, God. We do not confess to know all of it, God, or even a little, Father. So, Lord, teach us. Teach us together, God. Let us journey on this thing together, God. Lord, may we grow in this, God, not just for the sake of growth, but for the sake of going, God so that we might live right before those to whom we want to speak to and talk to your children, oh God, so they might be drawn into you. May they see you in us, God. That's all we're going for, God. Teach us the way of prayer, God. Teach us like the apostles asked your son, Father. Teach us in the way of prayer. Lord, that way we may say what you say. That which we see you do, we will do, God. And nothing more. May we live in obedience and faith to you, Father. In Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer or anything like that, I'm going to stand up here. We're going to keep things. We're not going to break down just yet. Uh, we're going to st- if you want prayer or anything like that, come on. Come on.
I thank you this morning for family. I thank you this morning for friends, God. Father, I thank you for each, for every person here, for that's what they are, God. They are family and friend, Father. Lord, as we uh, journey together, God, we don't, we don't know it all. And Lord, we're not even confessing that we know some, God. But Father, we do know you. And that's all that matters. Affirm us today, God, in you. Affirm us, oh, Father. May it be all we need. Help us to grow and be more obedient, doing what you do and saying what you say. In Jesus' name. Everyone says amen. amen. Hey, I love you guys. I love you. You have a good day.